recording. Um, should I start or do you want to start? I like you starting. You've been doing that for a little bit. Okay. Uh, let's see if I can balance this. All right. I will begin. Are you good to begin? Yep. Cool beans. Welcome back to episode four of Blessing in Disguise. And if you stuck with us this long, it's worth it because today we are doing the Holy Bible. We're not doing duh this time, right, Laurel? The whole Holy Bible or no. just the Holy Bible? I don't think we can promise to do the whole Holy Bible in 25 minutes. So, we'll, we'll so it'll it. be more like the Holy Bible, like Swiss cheese holes, because it's not the whole one, it's the Holy one. It's the Sparknotes version. With wine. I think there is spark notes for the Bible. Oh, thank goodness. That's actually point two I wanted to ask you about. But before we, <laughs> I think there is. Yeah. <laughs> before we even dive into the Bible itself, um, uh, just a quick uh, preview. This episode is really looking at the text of the Bible. Um, where does it come from? And I think most importantly, how do we look at it? How do we interpret it? How do we access it? Um, is that something that you can do as a novice? You just crack it open while sitting by the fire? Or do you really need a professional technician, a seminarian, a priest, a whomever to really guide you through it? Um, is it something that's still relevant to people today if they're not sitting in a service being guided through it? So uh, really before we get into the Bible itself, I of course have questions. <laughs> um, and the first being sort of the most basic when we look at the three holy books, right, the Bible, the Torah, and the Quran, is the Bible distinctly different? Especially, I think, when we look at, you know, we know it's different, but um, I think especially this question of New Testament and Old Testament and clarifying, you know, do the Jews ever get jealous? And they're like, hey, I really just want to, like, sneak a bit of the New Testament. What makes them so distinct that they merit having these three key separate religious practices? Huh. Good one. Um, so the so Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all called like religions of the book. And so in the Quran, which is the the Muslim scriptures, which well the word of God literally, um, it, Jewish people and Christian people are referred to as like fellow people of the book. So there's some like um, familiar rapport going on there. Um, obviously the Torah is the beginning of kind of this story of the people of Yahweh slash God slash Allah. Um, the Torah refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, also called the Pentateuch, the five books. Um, and so we talked a couple episodes ago, maybe, about how the Song of Miriam and Exodus was the first book written. It's the oldest text, but it's the second book in the Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I think is the order. But then all of what is commonly known as the Old Testament um, is the story of the Jewish people, the people of Israel, ancient Israel. Um, and actually, I think I remember from one of my classes in the U.S., um, you can also refer to like the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures of the Bible, of course, the Jewish people wouldn't recognize like the Bible as sacred scripture. But if you, instead of calling it like the Old Testament, just because old has this connotation of like, don't need that shit anymore. Um, <laughs> like calling things like the Jewish scriptures, the Christian scriptures. And then the Quran is not really a third testament. Um, it's kind of its own book. It's it's um, 
a la getting to a point of like, all right, people haven't gotten it. Let's like scrap it and start over. Take it down, Muhammad. This is the real deal. Um, so I would say like the Torah and the Jewish scriptures are very foundational for both Christianity and Islam because not understanding where the story is coming from, you're not going to get a lot of, I mean, in the, in the Christian scriptures in the New Testament, there are so many references to Jewish tradition that if you didn't have those books tacked on to the beginning of the Bible, like there would be no context. We wouldn't know what was going on. So they're different in the sense of like people who use them for their religion, like have this certain lens they're reading it from, but it's also telling the story of the same deity and the same people trying to figure out how to live a good life on planet Earth. So hold on. We're going to get into, you know, all the bad things the Bible has done later. But one part that um, I guess is surprising to me is the way you just described the three, you know, scriptures of the three holy texts is that they're all kind of, you know, it's like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Like one came first, one came second, one came third, but it's (laughs) all kind of the same thing. Like we could really be talking about vanilla chocolate and strawberry, but it's all ice cream. And, you know, that's kind of the big criticism that I hear is that why are we all fighting and killing each other and talking about you're right, I'm wrong, when, you know, you're just in a, you're in a different part of the trilogy, you know, you're just reading at a different time, but we're all talking about the same history. Is it, Mm -hmm. I mean, is this just about who runs Mecca or is there another way of looking at the different text that says, no, mine is distinctly different from yours? Well, I think kind of a not super great way to think of the New Testament or of the Quran from a Christian or a Muslim point of view is saying like the Jewish people got it wrong and our edition makes it right. Or the Christians got it wrong. And this revelation from Muhammad of God's word makes it right. You know, like there's some kind of superiority of thinking like, Oh, this is the final word. This is the final revelation of God where we really got it right. And like the Jews or the Christians, like they only really have half the story. It's like reading half of Lord of the Rings and being like, oh yeah, like the ring is just there forever and people are disappearing and chasing each other when like really like Muslims are like, no, like they throw it into Mordor at the end and it's gone. You know, like they have the ending and the true story. Um, And so, and so the Jewish people like don't believe that Jesus was actually God or Christians don't believe that like Muhammad actually has the word of God written down and dictated straight from Allah's mouth. Um, so even though they're telling the same story, they kind of have different endings or they kind of have different premises out of which like these three religions live their life and make their decisions. Um, so it's like, it's like a choose your own adventure novel. (laughs) Oh, just taking a pause. Um, if at any point you're listening to us and you just feel incredibly deeply offended, please know we did not intend it that way. Our snarky... (laughs) (laughs) wandering you know we're asking questions and and absolutely um do not take our analogies to lord of the rings as an offense we both are huge tolkien fans so it's a compliment um i just want to throw that out there because i'm listening to myself speaking going oh that probably could come off weird but i think that's part of it right it's like okay this is something that's deeply personal to a lot of people and so I'm stumbling to find ways to talk about it. That's well, yeah, and the Bible is like so freaking old that it's so old that like we don't have a context for understanding it anymore. So you have to say things like it's like Lord of the Rings or it's like a choose your own adventure goosebumps book, like because we don't know what ancient Israel was like. So we have to compare it to things. And that's like probably going to be the theme of my answers today. (laughs) Perfect. That was much better said. 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, now that we've explained the three major religions and we understand why they hate each other and we've resolved all global conflict, I want to ask you the next question. Clearly. You know, duh. It only took seven minutes. Um, looking at the Bible, you know, you mentioned a few books in there and already my brain was, you know, it feels like trying to order a, a bunch of puzzle pieces when you can't even get their names straight. And I remember, you know, we had to read the Bible in college as part of a philosophy course. And that's fascinating. What did you read? I don't remember because I don't remember the names. Yeah. What yeah. I remember Fair is, enough. you know, someone begat someone, begat someone, begat someone. But as literature, to me, it it was very complicated and dense and I in no way felt that I was reading a spiritual text in the sense of something spiritual being something that speaks to me and makes me present to something greater or, you know, to my own human nature, things like that. Um, and what I really wanted was the Sparknotes version, someone to say, you know, they're all kind of important, but you should really read this chapter and you'll just get it. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, are all the parts or chapters created equal, you know, are some kind of added on later? How is it ordered or organized, and is there a you know a cheat code that you could use to access it? Uh, are all parts created equal? I would kind of say yes because I personally am am pretty against like reading one sentence or one verse and saying like this proves x thing like I think you have to read the whole thing and kind of take it in context as far as how it's ordered, there's a difference between in what, like, at what time in history were these texts written, and what order are they in the Bible? So, Bible, Biblia in Greek, just means books. It doesn't mean one book, it means multiple books, because there are, I do not know how many books in the Bible. You know, like, Genesis is its own book, Exodus is its own book, and they're ordered, like, in what would chronologically tell the story of the people of Israel. So even though Exodus was written um, very soon after Israel had this liberation experience, and then they went back and wrote Genesis to explain how everything came to be. Genesis is first because it tells the origin story. Um, so once you get through kind of like the origin story, the liberation of the people of Israel, you kind of get into like the time of the law, you get into kings, you get into judges, you get into the prophets, and then you get into this like apocalyptic kind of literature where at the time Jesus was born, the Jewish people were under Roman rule and thought the world was going to end. So it kind of goes through, like we talked about last time with the Trinity, there's this historical process of how the people of Israel came to understand themselves and revise their ideas and beliefs about how God wants them to live. So then in the New Testament, you have the story of Jesus, and then all the letters of the early churches being like, what are we supposed to do? Who's in charge here? What are the rules? And then at the end, you have John on this like tiny island writing about monsters that are metaphor for the Roman Empire, saying like, the system is bad, avert mission, like everything is going to end soon, and this is how it's going to go down, because everything sucks. And that's, you know, a pretty human tendency that we do today still, the kids these days. Um, Those kids. So, so I think you do need to like have at least a a small understanding of the whole story in order to get some of it. You can't just read one book and be like, "I got this." <laughs> We're good. I guess. Yeah. So that brings me. I have two questions. I guess that come off of that. Um, you know, this is really just me interrogating Laurel. That's really how we should have called this podcast. Um, I'm breathing so heavily. No, no, it's fine. I'm really not that scary. 
Um, the so when we think about the different chapters and how it's a historical process that you need to understand the arc of the story in, under, in order to place what's happening into context. You know, for I would love to ask, ask you, you know, you personally, Laurel, for you, what makes the Bible any different from a historical piece of literature? Like you use the word literature. In many ways, it's a collection of stories in the same way that Aesop's fables are a collection of stories that include morals and different elements and metaphors for the way you should live your life. What separates for you the Bible as a holy scripture and and Aesop's fables? <laughs> uh, man. Well, I think Aesop's fables like are a pretty good um like equivalent with the Bible in some ways because we know that like animals don't factually talk and we know that like Little pigs don't build houses or whatever. I don't even know if that's an Aesop fable, but you're with <laughs> me. Um, but they're these kind of like mythical stories that communicate something very true. Um, and the Bible, similarly, like a lot of the pieces that get kind of twisted from the Bible are not supposed to be like historically accurate stories. Like if there were no people around who was the journalist that took down what happened in the seven days of creation, right? Like that story is about like God created the world and it was good. And here's a story to explain why creation is good and not just this bad prison place that keeps us from heaven. So, um, I think in some ways they're pretty relatable, (laughs) But um, the Bible to me is special, I think, you know, because I grew up in the U.S. I grew up in Western culture where, like, Christianity is certainly this dominant narrative and where the values of what we understand to be Christianity is, like, what I was taught growing up. And so the the Christian scriptures, the Bible, um, helps me understand kind of where that comes from and helps me understand, like, what originated that and, like, what's what we actually have gotten wrong you know I think the reason the bible is holy to me is uh, hugely because of where I was born and where I grew up had I been born in China and grew up in China I don't know that I would find the bible to be like particularly inspiring I would find some other way to access this like god thing um so you know I think the bible is is speaks to me and is holy to me because it kind of uses this like language or worldview that I just innately understand cuz that's what I was born into and grew up into. Now I don't and and you know so that's why like I don't think I Laurel could ever convert to Buddhism even though I think that there's a lot of wisdom in Buddhism. I think there's a lot of like interesting points that Christianity doesn't have or interesting conversations and debates to have. But like that's just not what speaks to me because that's not like the culture and context that my soul was like formed in in the first years of my life. So that's probably not a great answer, but I think a lot of religious texts um, communicate true things. It's collective wisdom from thousands of years of human history. And, you know, we read um, in school like Greek mythology, which was the ancient Grecian religion. We read in school certainly the Quran, certainly like... um, the Talmud, we, you know, we read a bunch of religious scripts as literature, and then in religion class, we read the Bible, and I, you know, eh. <laughs> That's my final word. Eh. It's a great final word, but I, I, I think that's a great answer, just because it um, makes me really curious what is going to happen now, right? So if um, in your experience, what makes the Bible relevant and true and holy is that it's 
a part of how you grew up and who you related to as a child and the social structures that make sense to you. And, and maybe if that's what explains the durability of Christianity in many ways, you know, it was this cornerstone of society for so long, especially in the dominant West, which then was able to go and dominate others, sometimes using the Bible, right? And a lot of people have criticized or at least characterized our generation, we talked about the nuns earlier, as this weird anomaly where, you know, religion really isn't playing as big a role in the rearing of our generation as it did before. And without that, you know, a lot of churches are are nervous, right? They're 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 dying. And I wonder, you know, we saw this with the election, a lot of people commented on the fact that, you know, when it was Obama Romney, everyone was freaking out that Romney was a Mormon and now with Trump Clinton, I mean, religion had almost zero presence. It just wasn't there and the morals and the, you know, quote unquote family values they weren't there. Um, it was a really totally different debate. And so I, looking at how the Bible endured for so long, especially as a text that is difficult to access if you're not raised in and around it, you know, what happens now? I guess that's, I'm, I'm veering off script here, but that's sort of, I think, where the conversation is leading us. Yeah, totally. I mean, just because I don't think the Bible was, like, written by God and, like, given to humanity doesn't mean that I don't think it is, like, that religious scriptures or, like, spiritual wisdom texts are not, like, supremely important for society. Um, I think, like, we need to have them and we need to have access to as many of them as we can and, like, that's why I've chosen to study theology and, like, try to understand them and promote them, whatever. Um... It kind of reminds me of Anita, this woman in El Salvador from a, a Christian-based community called Pueblo de Dios en Camino, and she always says, if it is of God, it endures. Mm-hmm. So she would say that sometimes when we would get frantic about something good that seemed to be dying away as a way of saying, you know, like, God's going to help us out if this is something that humanity still needs to access. And she would also say that if we were flipping out about something bad that seemed to be like omniscient and like everywhere um she would say if it's not of god it will go away soon and she's a pretty wise lady um so i think like if the bible is a holy thing it'll stick around as long as we need it and if it is not a holy thing it'll and you know it, the Bible's been misused a ton, and it's still around. The th- The ways it's been misused are certainly not of God, but there's something there that is holy. The t- you know times it's been used well, the liberation of of colonized mentalities in Latin America, individual people learning from it and being inspired to like be good people in the world. We do have slavery. We do have the conquest. We do have the crusades. We do have years and years of anti-Semitism. Um, but I would say most people who study scripture would say that those are not correct interpretations of the Bible, just like normal Muslim people today are saying that like radical Islamist terrorist groups are not correctly interpreting the Quran. Gotcha. And in terms of what you see amongst your friends, you know, we have this conversation a lot about, you know, where you come from, you came from. A religious family, I didn't, but I have this deep curiosity and yearning for something spiritual, right? Which is how this podcast was born, right? A deep curiosity marries deep experience and a little bit of wine, and here we go. Um, <laughs> but 
I guess that second question, and we come back to accessibility, right? And you mentioned uh, Por Dios en Camino. Is the Bible something that is accessible to you um, if you weren't, you know, maybe you don't have a priest living next door, or maybe you, um, you, you don't have that training. Maybe you just sit down and you open the book for the first time. Is this something that you think is accessible to people? Oh, man, I've, I'm going to contradict myself a thousand times answering this. Like, on the one hand, it's the story of a people over the course of thousands of years living in a culture that we no longer have access to. So, like, it's going to get super messed up. Like, I do kind of think that we need some training or guidance or, like, being in a group together to read the Bible. There are scholars who dedicate their entire careers to exegesis, which is like Bible decoding. And so they do things like checking translations, like for like even even um like co-historical languages like Spanish and English, there's like a thousand things you can get wrong. I can say estoy embarazada to mean I'm embarrassed and it really means I'm pregnant. That kind of stuff happens in Bible translation all the time. Soy hombre to mean like I'm hungry, it means I'm a man. Like that kind of stuff happens in languages that, like, are happening in the same historical moment. Not to mention, like, ancient languages that no one speaks anymore that, like, code experts have to, like, decode in order to understand it. And then and then exegetes also do things like studying the origin culture, studying ancient Jewish culture, ancient Greek culture, where a lot of the early Christian church wrote its, its first letters. What were, like, the traditional customs in ancient Jewish culture in order to understand how Jesus subverts them. Or with this question of Mary, this is a big divide between like Catholics and sort of Anglicans and Protestants. The word virgin, does that mean like she had never had sexual intercourse and conceived a child? Or does virgin mean an unmarried woman? Or does virgin mean, you know, X other thing? And if you go back to ancient Jewish culture, virgin might mean a totally different thing than what it means now. Um, And that totally affects our theology of Mary. So on the one hand, like these people who have studied it a long time definitely enrich um, and, and deepen our understanding of what the authors of the Bible may have intended. On the other hand, I've learned the most about the Bible from people who are literate, from people who never got past second grade, from people who have only like memorized certain parts of it, um, Something very profound that I remember one of my professors at the UCA saying is that rural Salvadoran culture is much closer to ancient Jewish culture than city life, for example, because the ancient Jews were these like traveling agrarian people. And so if you're also a farmer, you're going to understand a lot better what all of Jesus' nature parables refer to, you know. Maybe I've grown up in the U.S. in a city and I've never scattered seed and seen how some of it comes up among thorns and is choked out and some of it comes up on good soil. That's a metaphor or a parable that someone who's rural is going to understand super well. And because the story is about kind of this marginalized people, marginalized people are going to get that a lot better than like the empire. This book was not written for the empire. Um, So like... (sighs) And, and in Christian-based communities, too, like, when you're talking about not having a priest next door, I think the most people's experience of the Bible, right, is in church. Most people, like me included, do not get up at, like, 5.30 a.m. with, like, a cup of herbal tea and, like, read some passages. <laughs> um, 
most people like get it at church on Sunday and there you have either a priest or a pastor like one person telling you what it means telling you what it means for your life like this is what Christmas is about this year and like that's their expertise in what they're saying and then in the Christian based communities in El Salvador like I've been like I can't go to church with just one pastor anymore because I feel like I'm missing out on so much of the story. In the Christian-based communities, people read the readings for the day and then kind of open it up to discussion among everyone who's there to talk about, like, what does this mean to you? What does this mean to you? What do you hear there? And I've heard some things in those celebrations that, like, I never would have heard in a church. They don't have this bias of, like, academic education. They don't have this bias of authority either. You know, you get mothers talking about what they think. You get five-year-olds talking about what they think. You get someone who's lived on the planet for 90 years talking about what they think. Someone who grows corn for a living. Someone who drives a bus for a living. What does this mean to me in my particular, like, place and with all of the, like, privileges and oppressions that I live with every day? Um, So I think, like, on one hand, yes, Studying the Bible certainly helps us enrich our understanding of what the authors might have meant, but the Bible is not written for the educated. The Bible is written for people who are kept from education, who are kept from a dignified life, who are kept from access to food, because that's what, like, the main characters of the Bible were trying to help people access. I think that is, yeah, I mean, if I could just... (laughs) all of that I mean it's pretty mind-blowing like yes and no (laughs) but it makes sense to understand the bible as something you said that wasn't written for empire and now in a context of the west you know you don't want to call it the empire because then it calls up Darth Vader in Star Wars but this well well, (laughs) that will be the next episode (laughs) I think that idea that you know even though this text has been co-opted in many ways by the powerful, it makes sense that it's, if we can say that its true essence is something that is meant for the marginalized, the illiterate, for encapsulating the true breadth of human experience and human suffering. And when you take that away, you're left with something that isn't really the Bible anymore. Um, And I think that has been my experience of it. I really was exposed to the Bible in a classroom at an elite university with an adjunct professor and that was the person who guided us through and we wrote papers based on what we thought would get a good grade I mean it was just the antithesis Mm -hmm. of again not to knock that experience we were exposed to something in a unique environment that made us look at the bible as literature which I'd never thought of before but it also that spiritual element is something that we couldn't have gotten in a classroom and you just explained very eloquently why not? <laughs> and and the other piece I think you mentioned, which, you know, I always think that we're going to come to the end of these episodes and have this magical, wonderful, perfect, like, answer. And no, <laughs> it, it, it's like, one thing that always comes through with these episodes is, is nuance, right? It always comes back to giving space for nuance and space for um, taking time to look at something and embrace all these conflicting ways of looking at it, which, you know, we're not too great at because Netflix... Um, but <laughs> I, I just really appreciated what you said and wanted to pull it out. You know, I didn't think I was going to tell this particular story today, but it just is so relevant. Um, I remember, um, I forget 
who said this, but um, we were talking kind of about the difference between Northern theology and Southern theology, like global North, global South, empire oppressed kind of distinctions. And an academic theology and grassroots theology, which is kind of what we're talking about, these different readings of the Bible. And um, someone said, I think this was like in the base community that I would go to on Sundays. We like got off on this topic quite a bit. (laughs) And someone said like, well, people in the North don't need God anymore, which I think is usually used as an argument of like, of course we don't need God. Like God doesn't exist. We are self-sufficient, whatever. Um, and then he said, people in the South need God because we're still suffering. We still don't have these things. Like we need this God idea to kind of get us through the day. And I think that is kind of the key to why people in base communities can kind of read the Bible better or differently or with other insights, because like we desperately need to understand the story in order to know a, how to live well and b what to do when we're being kept from living well. So like, what did Jesus do when the Jewish people were being kept from living well by the Roman Empire? Or when women were kept from living well because of sexism? Or when people with leprosy were kept from living well because they weren't living? You know, we need to understand how that worked. Um, Whereas I think in the North, in some elitist classroom in in Boston or in St. Louis or whatever, um we're doing it for a grade. We don't need to understand that to know who we are as humans. We need to understand it to like turn in my paper. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that kind of helps highlight this like balance between why you need help reading the Bible from scholars, but also like how you cannot go without grassroots readings of it too. And that it, I mean, I think it's important too to say that maybe I would say we need God in the North. Um, simply because yeah but we don't know we do exactly or or I think we do you know we just don't say we need God because we have science um but I do think that people are recognizing that even with all of our stuff you know this is something that we see on Instagram every day as a meme but I'm just Mm -hmm. reiterated here we have a lot of stuff and we have a lot of freedoms but I don't think we know how to live well yet and I think it's convenient to throw yeah. the Bible aside to say, well, we have science and we have stuff and we have civilization and we're good. Um, and those yeah. morals and that nuance that is buried that we don't really have time for anymore or we don't really want to, you know, or that we don't get out of the Sunday morning service, right? Like it's that accessibility question and what we're really digging for. But I, I think it's dangerous to say we don't need God because... Otherwise, we're left thinking we're fine. (laughs) And I think if the last election Mm -hmm. has shown us anything, it's that there are real consequences to forgetting that. Totally. And I I also think after this last election, both sides, their main question is like, how, okay, things are broken, clearly. How do we talk to each other? How do we come together? And I think that's something we need the Bible for or other religious texts or Aesop's fables. But we need to go back (laughs) to this like mythic, spiritual, like more kind of like, you know, aspiring to communicate, how did Jesus sit at a table with tax collectors and lepers and have these transformative conversations? That's exactly what we need today. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, totally. I, you know, I hope that we're like coming to understand that we need that. I hope that like the, like the state of things right now is enough of a shock to get us to like slow down for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the things we've forgotten? What do we need? And like, maybe some of it is like, 
in the parts of the Bible that we're not already co-opting about, like, abortion and homosexuality and self-righteous social justice. And, and we'll explain how to do that and fix everything in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> no, I think that's a, yes. Um, if it's cool by you, like, we're, we're at 32 minutes, so we've, we've oh, yeah. 25 we good. I promise, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's really good to talk to you always, so... Agreed. I always start these conversations like, how is this going to go? And then by the end, my like heart rate is up. I'm like ready to debate somebody. <laughs> Not debate. Have a meaningful conversation with someone who right. shares a common humanity and no one's winning. They're relating to one another on an equal playing field. Yeah. Yes. Man, I need to study these Jesus communication skills a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a form out there. Um, cool. Well, so that was the Bible in 32 minutes. Um, do you know what our next episode is? Um, I do not. I can try to look at our table real quick. How do I get back? Uh, episode list. I think we scheduled through four. Oh, number four is the Bible. Oh, we have nuns as number five. What was that about to be about? Oh, um... Oh, how how uptight are nuns really? Oh, also number six was hell, so we could talk about hell. Okay. Or evangelization and conversion. Ooh, I think we should go to evangelization and conversion. Just because okay. it seems to come off of this episode. I agree. Um, so I might throw in a bit at the end and we can just cut this little bit in the middle where we try to figure our stuff yeah, out. Yeah, perfect. So as a sort of convenient transition after this episode we're going to be getting into evangelization and conversion having those not so comfortable right and wrong debates um and is that something that really needs to be a part of religion or not where it came from all the dirty stuff everything we love about those topics so um we hope you stay tuned and again always feel free to leave us questions comments thoughts you know moments of inspiration that came to you while listening to our beautiful voices and uh, <laughs> we will be posting the next episode soon. Cool. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Laurel. Salut. Salut. I just said that for the podcast thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm... Oh. I'm going to pause my recording thing now. Do, 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 do.